Please do turn in Scripture to uh, Matthew. We're just going to look this morning at Matthew 11. We're looking at just three verses before next week, which we'll pick back up in our study of Old Testament narrative, which is going to be uh, picking back up in 1 Samuel. Uh, This week is just kind of one off. We're going to look at uh, Matthew uh, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Uh, this, is the, this is the culmination of a whole chapter uh, that has captured really in some ways the heart of the Christian message. Uh, that message is really a person, uh, the message of the person and work of Jesus. Uh, earlier in the chapter, there is in Matthew 11, this question posed to Christ, uh, to Jesus from John the Baptist, who is struggling with doubt. Are you the one? And and if you're not the one, should we look for another? Should we look for another Messiah? And then what comes in Matthew 11 in the wake of that question um, in what Jesus says and what he does confirms and conveys very clearly his authority, his authority to judge and also his divinity. The fact that he is not just man, but he is the God man, that he is God incarnate. Yet people then... And people now reject Jesus. People then and people now abandon Jesus. Why do people reject or abandon Jesus? Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, maybe they just weren't quite persuaded. Perhaps there wasn't enough tangible, uh, empirical evidence in front of them to embrace Christ. Or to to sustain them or to persuade them in some measure long term. No, no, I I don't think that's actually the case. I I know we'd like to suggest that, but there are many. And and one would be a a pretty poignant example would be the, the person of Judas who indeed did see all of these things and did not believe. And then even the words of Jesus here in this very chapter, because he warns them. He has a warning just prior to what we're going to read here. Warnings to people who are outwardly religious But inwardly, they're indifferent towards Christ. And he curses those people because they will not repent, even though they did see firsthand in many of these cities where he journeyed and traveled his work, his his power, not only his message, but the very demonstration of the power of God. And they still rejected him. And here he closes by reflecting on Jesus, reflecting on his union with God, the father. And then these are the three verses we'll read. The sweetest, most wonderful invitation that a person could possibly imagine. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, these are words for them. These are words uh, for you and for me to embrace, to understand, to find joy in at any time or any place. It's a personal invitation this morning. Let me invite you to stand. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Hear this. This is going to be an invitation to rest and to a relationship. The words of Jesus come. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's ask for his help. Lord, we, we're told in your word that uh, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. 
So we pray that you would uh, accompany your word. We're really grateful this morning, this day, that we live in a time and a place where the word is available to us in our language. But we need something more than literacy. Uh, we need we need your spirit to see, to appreciate. So please provide the persuasion and the power and the light that comes from your spirit. Pour it out fresh, please. Pour him to us fresh for Christ's sake. Amen. I used to be back in grad school and college in my 20s, a long distance competitive runner. Now I'm just a 40 something year old jogging dad. Um, but it's pretty compelling. It's maybe compelling at some points and discouraging when I read things like this past week. Uh, seven days ago, uh, there was a guy who's uh, close to 40, a Lithuanian guy in Poland, and he broke the, uh, the ultra marathon world record. Maybe you saw it in the news. Uh, his name is Alexander Sorokin, and he set the new 24-hour world running record. Okay, Get this. The guy ran 24 hours straight, 192 miles. Now, go do the math later because the pace that you would have to be running to hit that is insane. Some of us could not even keep up with him for one mile, let alone 192. After the race... Hey, listen, Alexander, how do you feel? To which he says, 24 hours of running is very hard for the body and the brain. I haven't caught myself in emotions yet, but I'm happy. I could have sworn he was going to say, I'm tired. I am dead dog, definitively, no doubt about it. Anyone would imagine dead dog tired right now. Sometimes, for any variety of reasons, we use that analogy, right? We'll say, I feel like I'm in a, a marathon. I, I thought it was going to be a sprint, this trial, this affliction, this suffering, this challenge, this, 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 this turbulence. I thought it was going to be a sprint. It's turning into a marathon. Now it's turning into an ultra marathon I'd rather not be in, and I can't quite see the finish line, and I'd sure love to. And I don't know what that is for you today. And, and this is going to apply regardless. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's something that's, that's interrelational with p- people in your workplace or with your family. Maybe it's something medical, a chronic, ongoing condition that's got you, you feeling like you're in a marathon, rather weary. Maybe it's something, maybe it's something financially. Maybe it's something that, you know, it's is just emotionally. You're, you're exhausted and depression or anxiety. Maybe it's something spiritually that you feel burdened. That you have felt burdened for some time with a troubled conscience. Or maybe today you're here today. You say, no, you know what? Right now I'm I'm on my A game. I feel fantastic. Young people, maybe you do feel that way. We'll see how you feel in about a week of getting up early and going to school, right? That's gonna that's gonna that's gonna be challenging. Or or maybe maybe you're on your A game and you can just envision. I see some teachers nodding their head too. Okay, have mercy on those people. Or maybe it's later this week when someone says something cruel to you, something hurtful. Or or maybe it's when you find out that a lot of other people got invited to a really cool party, and they're all talking about the invitation, and it's one that you didn't get. Well, here's an invitation that Jesus makes in verse 28. He says, come to me all. Come to me all. No conditions, no caveats. He didn't say, come to me if you have all of your forms ready, 
He didn't say, come to me if you're cool, if you're well-behaved, if you're feeling strong. Come to me if you've got all of your, your words together and all of your action plan in place. Come to me. No, he just says, come all who labor and are burdened. Or as the NIV translates it, this is how I I memorized as a kid, who are weary and heavy laden or weary and burdened. It's kind of hard to translate those two phrases because you don't know whether the emphasis should be on the weariness or the, the labor. But I think the best way to kind of understand it is it's the weariness that comes by way of laboring. The notion here is of a burden. Many insights and quotes, by the way, will be coming from this today. A book that I've commended to uh, to everyone, and there's a whole box of them back, back there, totally free. The publisher made free to us, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland, the subtitle, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. I did reread it this week. I told you I was going to do that. It's a wonderful book, and it takes about four to five hours uh, to read it, and uh, you can do the math. That's like a couple of Netflix videos, movies, maybe a couple or a few more episodes of HDTV, a a few cumulative moments of TikTok, your favorite social media, fantasy football, right? I won't even say anything right now about video games, but what I'm saying is carve out some time. It's a free book and it is food for your soul well spent. Three elements, so I'll be quoting several times from this book. Three elements that I see uh, that are part of this three verses and three, um, three, three, three things. I'm not even going to go in order, but here they are. I'll hit on them in random order. The heart of Jesus, first of all, I think we see. The second thing that we see in this text is the need of the weary and last, the promise of rest. Simple. The heart of Jesus, here the Savior, here the King, is talking. Talking is the God-man. And no one else will extend an invitation like this to anyone and make good on it. And I love the fact that it's very personal, right? He says, come to me. I, listen to the, the, to the pronouns, I will give you rest. My yoke, my burden. Jesus here is tender and caring, very personal as a good shepherd. And in fact, Dane Ortland observes, if you consider and research it, although we do see the heart of God... In the Old Testament, and we see God the Father, and we see the heart of God the Son, which are not two different things in the New Testament. We see the heart of God throughout Scripture illustrated and on display, but it's only here that Jesus puts it to words in describing a self-description where Jesus takes up two words and says, this is what I'm like. This is my heart, the very seat of my being, my motivation, my Not just my affections and emotions, but the the very disposition of my soul and heart is two words. And it's not angry and irritable. It's not careful and precise. It's not holy. And ready to judge. It's gentle And lowly that he describes. Which is not to say that he is weak and helpless. That's not what he's conveying. I mean, the reality is you have to be strong to be gentle. 
You have to have strength to be gentle. That's why we'd look at toddlers and say, gentle, gentle, gentle. Right? Some of you experience this, right? Because they don't have strength and care and skill yet. Contemplate that. Jesus is not indifferent. He's not irritable. And as Orland writes, meek, humble, gentle, Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh. He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And yes, he is lowly. He is accessible. He's not aloof. Praise God. So what, what's the promise? Right. Here's his heart. And then what's what's the promise? The promise to those who are burdened and laboring. Verse 28 and verse 29 both mention this word rest. And let's be clear what we're talking about when he discusses rest. Rest is is speaking to the very seed of our being. The foundational, you know, uh, this is where for all, virtually all other forms of weariness come from. And that is our soul. Jesus here, verse 29, the promise is you will find rest for your souls. He did not say your bodies, at least not in this life. And furthermore, the promise here is not so much that we would experience a a respite from the pressures of life. Those we often sometimes create them ourselves and then try to escape them ourselves. No, it's not so much a rest from the weariness of body or stress, though God certainly can be merciful and provide his own gracious healing touch to relieve it. But even sweeter is the rest that comes to our soul that when we have weariness of body and we are interconnected beings that we we so desperately need. Regardless and and in light of what's going on physically, that in our soul to have rest, what we can't change the weariness that comes through struggles with questions of eternity and anxieties, the fear of death, the, 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 the weariness of soul that comes because of guilt and shame. This is the type of rest and relief he's talking about. The promise is something that Jesus provides that's unique, and we hunger for it. We do, whether we acknowledge it or not, because dark days have come and will come in this life. And this is the kind of rest that we want. It's not the kind of rest that... Any promotion can grant or luxurious vacation could ever provide, though we do try to deceive ourselves into thinking so. But some of us come back from a vacation at the close of the summer. And we say, I need a vacation for vacation. We still say it. If only I could get a break. If only I could get away. If only I could have a change of scenery or circumstances. Then, then I would have peace. Really? We talked about that last week. The invitation is to discover rest by means of which we discover and rediscover a relationship. Come to me personally. Jesus is saying, come to me, to a connection with Jesus. And then what type of connection do we have? Because he says here his yoke, a yoke is something that, you know, it's a farm implement. (laughs) And and unless you've been to Cracker Barrel recently uh, or some other country store, you don't typically none of us see a yoke. But it is something that connects two livestock together. They're, they're, they're harnessed. And, and the reality is not who you're harnessed to, which is another beast. But, you know, also, what are you, what are you dragging? What are you connected to? The yoke bears down. You have to submit to it. 
It's not a, it's not a mantle. You're connected to another beast. While the promise for rest comforts us, these words might make us a little bit uncomfortable because they do put us in our place. Remember, Jesus is just rebuked. If you look at verse 25, he says he just rebuked the wise, the quote wise and understanding of the world, which is to represent the people who are self-sufficient and self-satisfied and self-asserted and self-righteous people who are wise and righteous in their own eyes. They aren't humbled by the failures of their life. They're boasting in their achievements to, to discover and to rediscover rest. We surrender to Christ. We seek to come to him. And that's something that we have to do. Regularly, daily, if not hourly, coming to Jesus, we find if we don't, then we find ourselves restless. Truth be told. If you're not yet, by the way, a follower of Christ or you have questions, I, I, I do want to speak to you because maybe you're thinking this is just the bait or switch. Oh, OK, I see how it is. I see how it is. Jesus says, come to me. But then there's a switch. That was the bait. Promises rest, promises a relief from the weariness of, of navigating life, but now he wants me to take on a yoke. Christ's invitation involves, yes, surrender. Christ's invitation involves submitting to a yoke. A yoke is a burden that I want to be free from. What are you talking about? I don't want to be strapped to the burden of some religion and all the accompanying rules here. To be clear, Jesus is not talking about laws here. In fact, he doesn't want people to bear the weight of that at all. Even in his original audience, I think, would have understood when he talked about the law being a yoke or a burden to them. Because back in Matthew or further forward in Matthew 23, he speaks to the Pharisees and the scribes. And this is what he says. He says they... Those religious leaders tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with the finger. Religion is a burden. If, not always, religion is a burden if Christ and his grace is not at the center. Jesus isn't asking you to add a burden or a load. Jesus, friends, already knows that you're carrying one. He already knows that we're linked to something. We're yoked to something. He's asking not to add something. He's asking us to exchange something. Something that is better. You're going to carry a burden. You're going to be linked to something. Christ is much better. So this is the promise that Jesus is providing here. Rest and rest for your souls. It's the heart of the Christian message in all of Scripture. Think of all the things that Scripture offers. And as one scholar, as I was reading, discovered, he says, The Bible is historical. It's cultural. It's ethical. It's theological. But if you get all of that, and you miss the fact that the Bible is personal, then you miss the treasure who is Christ. The portal to all of this personalness, the, contrary to what we might think, the portal to the personal is not the ethical. It's not the intellectual. It's not if I believe the right things, if I behave the right way, then I have access to God. It's an invitation, and Christ is making it clear to him, the person, come to me. And some of you may say, well, I find all is well. I tried Jesus, but I still have pressures, and I don't seem to have the relief 
and the rest. And I would suggest, if that's the case, perhaps you have returned to put on the old yoke. You haven't yet exchanged fully. Our souls are restless. If we treasure and we come in step with something or someone besides Christ, if you're linked to and you are tied to something and treasuring something more than our creator and redeemer Christ, I think one of the reasons, and maybe you can relate to this, I mean, I mean, amidst the, the physical demands and my own personal limitations and and, and life in a broken, fallen world, one of the reasons that I experience weariness and weariness of soul is because of sin. Things that I pursued, that I, you know, violated my conscience, but I thought would give me relief or some measure of pleasure or joy. But in fact, they did exactly the inverse. And that's how sin works. It is not life giving. It is life sucking out of you. Some of us are restless at times because our souls treasure and prize and worship something or someone more than Jesus trying to pull and perform along the way that prize thing, whether it's acceptance from people. And if you are, you're weary because critical comments crush you as you're trying to gain that acceptance If it's security or money that you're yoked to, then you're working yourself to the bone trying to find that sense of security. But you don't. Relationships, you think it's there, but then lo and behold, over time, someone criticizes you and there is angry at you and you're crushed. Or maybe it's your appearance or your health and you've been striving after it. And then you realize that youth and beauty is fleeting and you look at yourself in the mirror and you're disappointed and weary. Your family, even your own marriage You can't perform or measure up. By the way, none of those things, whether it's your pursuit of health or relationships or, or money, is intrinsically evil. But if you yoke yourself and your hope and your identity to them, instead, it's vain and empty. And instead, and it's burdensome in a different way. Instead, we should come to a person who offers love and grace for our weary souls. If you're, if you're angry, if, you're, if you find yourself anxious and afraid and defensive, then look around your neck. Pray for God to show you what it may be. And then exchange and let it go. Remember the heart of Christ. Although you may say it's too much, I, I, I failed too much. I know what it's like to have a troubled conscience, to be tremendously burdened, and you think you should stay away from Jesus until you get your act together, until things are in line. Let me encourage you, going back again to uh, Orland's book, this great quote, he says, We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, then we are cast out. The walls go up. With Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach Christ. He writes, Jesus does not love like us. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we're forsaken, but Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit, and Jesus' love has no end. 
And this echoes true in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Remember? That's, that's forgiveness. In your time, for this, for this, I have Jesus. The image that came to mind this week as I was kind of contemplating this is, um, is my brother-in-law. Uh, he's a physician. It's always nice to have a physician in the family, isn't it? Right? It's a great resource. And, uh, and, and you know, the great thing about uh, Nathaniel, Nat, we call him Uncle Nat, is that not only is he a, phys- a physician, he's also an emergency room pediatrician. So, you know, when family gathers in the summertime, inevitably someone gets hurt, there's crying. And one of the things that's great about it is you don't know what to do, but you come to Uncle Nat. And it's like, ah, he'll know what to do. And I can think of all the times, even in the past month, that Nat's been working and in comes someone carrying their child. Disturbed, worried. Feeling hopeless, maybe helpless as to what to do with this child that's injured or gravely ill. And they, they place them in his hands. And that sense of relief, like I, I came here because I don't know what to do. The restlessness of that. And then, and then I know inevitably Nat at one point has to say, it's okay now. You need to go. Take a break and sit down. We've got it from here. I hope you get the point. Burdened, confused, worried, wearied of conscience, regardless of what it is, come to Jesus. Come find rest for your soul, for he is gentle and heart and love and grace flows and a peace like we've known nowhere else. And you might say, and maybe I lost you a long time ago. And maybe you said, I don't know what you're talking about. Come to me, all who are weary and maybe laden. I don't feel that way. But maybe you do, and you don't realize it. Maybe externally, you've convinced yourself it's all fine and well. And J.C. Ryle, an old British pastor of the previous century, says this. I'm firmly persuaded that there are thousands of men and women in the world who are inwardly comfortable and yet will not confess it. They feel a burden in their hearts which they would gladly get rid of, and yet they don't know the way. They have a conviction that all is not right in their inward man, which they will never tell anyone. Husbands will not tell their wives. Wives will not tell their, their, their husbands. Children do not tell their parents, and friends do not tell their friends. But inward burden, the inward burden lies heavily on many hearts. There's a far more unhappiness than the world sees. There is far more unhappiness than the world sees. Yes, yes, this is true. Disguise it as some will, Ryle says, there are multitudes uncomfortable because they know they are not prepared to meet God. Come to Jesus. I don't have any uh, application points today as by way of doing. It's what I want you to do. It's more so about being. But on the horizon... 
Not if, but when you feel weary for whatever reason. Maybe it's worth contemplating in preparation of that, even to go to scriptures like John 15, where Jesus says, I'm the vine. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do little. No, I didn't say that. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. Being must precede doing. Sadly enough, probably some of you are like me. I can't help but get that all out of whack and out of order. I can't feel at peace and rest until I'm busy doing something. We, we talked the, the last two weeks. Maybe this would be a, a doing action point. We talked the last two weeks about the struggle of the human experience with regard to anxiety and contentment. As we wrapped up our study in Philippians 4. So maybe that's, maybe that's the way you could, you, you could apply this. Go back and listen to those two messages. Because the, the anxiety is, what if? Remember the phrases that we utter to ourselves and others? What if? In anxiety, what if? What if? What if? What if this happens? What if that? What if this doesn't come to? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And anxiety. And then in contentment, we say, if only. If only I had. If only this would change. If only. And both of those things Both of those mindsets, both of those patterns and phrases culminate in weariness, burden. So I guess what I'm trying to say in conclusion is quit focusing on how desperately you may want your circumstances to change and laboring to try to change them. Quit laboring to find Peace and hope in your efforts, your work, your performance, whether that's your vocation or your moral performance. And hear Jesus again. Come find rest in me. Find relief for your souls. Come just listen and be with me and be still. Again, the invitation is come to me all. There is no discrimination. There's no limitation to that. Whether you are... Rich or poor, whether whether you have all the answers or you're clueless, whether you are smart or simple, whether you perceive yourself to be strong, whether you think of yourself weak, whether you assume that you have arrived. There is no discrimination. If you think you're great, if you think you're small, come to me by faith and surrender. There is great peace in this life, and even greater promise uniquely in eternal life, the unseen, in Christ. Father, right now we look to you. We'd love to surrender. Help us to, uh, to hear and to heed your invitation today, your personal invitation that we might find full and real rest and refreshment. But Lord, I know there are people who feel as though they are in or entering the dark valley, bring peace, Lord, to them, strength and comfort. I pray the same for those who find themselves overwhelmed, for those who are despairing, maybe even internally, they they can't bring themselves to hope, they can't imagine pressing on. And and as a result of a a long-standing battles in their family or just 
all the pressures that have come because of this horrible pandemic. People with aching hearts because of relational battles with their family and people with problems and uncertainties in their finances and their work and their health. There's, Lord, people here today who are, are weary because of sin. Help them surrender and seek you first in your kingdom. Lord, for those who are sick, Lord, I pray you'd have mercy this week. People that we know, people that we don't know. We're, we're sad, Lord, that there seems to be a resurgence of this virus. And I pray you would help people extend, Lord, your healing touch. Lord, give skill, please, to physicians and scientists. Lord, we pray today for our president, for his cabinet, Lord, for our governor and all other federal and state and community leaders. We pray they might have wisdom and insight. They would have calmness and courage to make decisions that serve well the people of our nation and our communities. Lord, we think, you know, beyond, we, we know that we have brothers and sisters and people just made in your image who are struggling today in other countries, especially, Lord, we pray for the people of Afghanistan. Have mercy, Lord. Grant perseverance and strength. Lord, for the families of fallen soldiers, we don't know what to say. Have mercy. Draw us to you this week. Thank you for your word. Thank you now for this sacrament that we enjoy. We pray right now through Christ and for his sake, even as he taught his disciples to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, 